I seen how far I can spit, but it was just another night. And now they're huddled in the brake lights for 58 Bel Air. And listening to how Romeo killed the sheriff with his knife. And they all rejuvenate the sirens. Romeo just laughs. It's all a racket in the world. They ain't never gonna save that copper's ass. He ain't never gonna see another summertime. I'm gonna die, my brother. And leaving him like a dog, beating the car without his knife. Romeo says, hey man, give me a cigarette. And they hurry for that pack. Frankie's for him. Bats him on the back, throws a bottle in a milk truck, and as it breaks, it grabs his nuts. They all know they can be just like Romeo if they only had the guts. Romeo is bleeding, nobody can tell. He sings along with the radio with a bullet in his chest. He combs back his feathers, they all agree it's clear. And everything is cool, and then Romeo is here. the car door, feels the blood in his shoes. Someone's crying at the five points in the phone booth by the store. Romeo starts his engines, wipes the blood off the door. And it brought his shooting signal with a radio full blast. Even the boys there hiking up their chinos. All trying to stand like Romeo with the moon cut like a sickle. Now they're talking now in Spanish, all about their hero. Hey man, 
In an odd angle of the hutman, a puppy laps the water from a can of flowers, and the drunk sergeant shaving whistles old paradiso. Shall I say that man is not, as men have said, a wolf to man? The other murderers troop in, yawning. Three of them play pitch, one sleeps, and one lies counting missions, lies there sweating till even his heart beats one, one, one. Oh, murderous. Still, this is how it's done. This is a war. But since these play before they die, like puppies with their puppy, since a man, I did as these have done, but did not die. I will content the people as I can and give up these to them. Behold the man. I have suffered in a dream because of him many things. For this last savior man, I have lied as I lie now. But what is lying? Men wash their hands in blood as best they can. I find no fault in this just man. My God in his sickness. A boy is as old as the stars. Eighth Air Force. If, in an odd angle of the hutment, a puppy laps the water from a can of flowers, and the drunk sergeant shaving whistles old paradiso, shall I say that man is not, as men have said, a wolf to man? The other murderers troop in, yawning. Three of them play pitch. One sleeps, and one lies counting missions, lies there sweating till even his heart beats. One, one, one. Oh, murderous. Still, this is how it's done. This is a war. But since these play before they die, like puppies, with their puppy, since a man, I did as these have done, but did not die. I will content the people as I can, and give up these to them, behold the man. I have suffered in a dream because of him 
many things. For this last savior, man, I have lied as I lie now. But what is lying? Men wash their hands in blood as best they can. I find no fault in this just man. Such a sphere is invisible to, but omnipresent in the naked eye of the nude. It contains a central region and an outer membrane, making it able to divide, to make exact copies of itself without limit. The nude has the capacity for replication and transcription of all genesis. She ingests and regurgitates the genetic material, it being the material of her own cell self, from single, she becomes double, and from double, single. As a woman ingests the demon sperm and with the same membrane regurgitates the mitotic double of herself upon the slide of time, so the DNA molecule produces with a little pop at the waistline of its viscous drop a new microsphere the same size as herself which proceeds singly to grow in order to divide and double itself. So from single to double and double to single and mounting while descending, she expands while contracts, she proliferates while disappearing at both of her ends. Remember that red can only be opposite green and blue opposite yellow. Remember that the complementary pairs of matches must differ slightly in length, for nature's pairs can be made only with units whose structures permit an interplay of forces between the partners. I fixed a blue match opposite a red match of the same length in defiance of the rules, pointed them away from the center on the double-stranded tape, I saw laid a number of eggs on eggs on the sticky side of a twig. I saw a worm with many feet grow out of an egg. The worm climbed the twig, a single helix, and gobbled the magnified edge of a leaf in quick, enormous bites. It then secreted out of itself a gray floss with which it wrapped itself tail first and so on until it had completely muffled and encased itself head last as in a mummy pouch. I saw plushy iridescent wings push moistly out of the pouch. At first glued together, they began to part. On each wing, I saw a large blue eye open forever in the expression of resurrection. The new nude released the flanges of her wings, stretching herself to touch at all points the outermost rim of the noosphere. I saw that for her body, from which the wings expanded, 
she had retained the worm. The DNA molecule, the DNA molecule, the DNA molecule is the nude descending a staircase, a circular one. See the undersurfaces of the spiral treads and the spaces in between. She is descending and at the same time ascending and she moves around herself. For she is the staircase, a protoplasmic framework, an internal scaffolding that twists and turns. She is a double helix mounting and dismounting around the swivel of her imaginary spine. The nude named DNA can be constructed as a model with matches and a ribbon of tape. Be sure to use only four colors on two white strands of twistable tape. Only complementary colors may be placed opposite each other. The pairs are to be red and green and yellow and blue. Make your model as high as you I had a terrible dream. Billy Mame and Bridget were playing under my staircase in the second floor about two o'clock in the morning. I woke up because Amos and Archie had started barking. That made me very angry because I wasn't feeling well and I told them. I was very cross the real me. They just better remember what happened to Sam the bird cat that was left at home and got sick and went to pussy heaven. It was a very cold, clear fall night. Some snowflakes were falling. Gee, it was so beautiful. So I went to get my camera to take some pictures. And then I was taking the pictures, but the exposure thing wasn't right. I was going to call Fred or Jerry to find out how to set it. Oh, it was too late. Then I remembered there was still probably a dinner, and anyway, I felt really bad. Didn't want to talk to anybody. The snowflakes were so beautiful and real looking, and I really wanted to hold them. And that's when I heard the voices from down the hall near the stairs. So I got a flashlight, and I was scared and went out into a hallway. There's been all kinds of trouble lately in the neighborhood. Someone's got to bring home the bacon, and anyway, there were Bridget and Billy playing. And under the staircase was a little meadow, sort of like the park at 23rd Street, where all the young kids go and play frisbee. Gee, that must be fun. Maybe we should do an article on that in the magazine. But they'll just tell me I'm stupid and it won't sell. But I'll hold my ground this time, I mean. It's my magazine, isn't it? So I was thinking, oh, these voices having so much fun. Gee, it'd be so great to have some fun. So I called Billy, but either he didn't hear me or he didn't want to answer, which is so strange because even if I don't like reunions, I've always loved Billy. I'm so glad he's working. I mean, it's different than Ondine. He keeps touring with those movies and he doesn't even pay us. The film, I mean, the film just kind of disintegrated in that one. I mean, he's so normal off of drugs, I just don't get it. And then I saw John Cale. He's been looking really great. He's been coming by the office to exercise with me. Ronnie said I have a muscle, but he's been really mean since he went to AA. I mean, what does it mean when you give up drinking and then you're still so mean? He 
says I'm being lazy, but I'm not. I just can't find any ideas. I mean, I'm just not, let's face it, gonna get any ideas up the office. Seeing John made me think of the Velvets. I'd been thinking about them when I was on St. Mark's Place, going to that new gallery those sweet new kids have opened. But they thought I was old, and then I saw the old Dom, the old club where we did our first shows. It was so great. I don't understand about that Velvet's first album. I mean, I did the cover, I was the producer, and I always see a free package, and I've never gotten a penny from him. How could that be? I should call Henry. But it was good seeing John. I did a cover for him, but I did it in black and white, and he changed it to color. It would have been worth more if he left it my way, but you can never tell anybody anything. I've learned that. I tried calling again to Billy and John, they wouldn't recognize me. It was like I wasn't there. Why won't they let me in? And then I saw Lou. I'm so mad at him. Lou Reed got married and didn't invite me. I mean, is it because he thought I'd bring too many people? I don't get it. Could have at least called. I mean, he's doing so great. Why doesn't he call me? I saw him at the MTV show. He was one row away. You know, I hate Lou, I really do. He wouldn't even hire us for his videos. And I was so proud of him. I was so scared today. There's blood leaking through my shirt from those old scars from being shot. And the corset I wear to keep my insides in was hurting. Three sets of 15 push-ups and four sets of 10 sit-ups. And then my insides hurt and I saw drops of blood in my shirt. And I...
I got a message from Sunra. Sunra. We got a message from Sunra. 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 Said the world is in transition. Your world and your condition. Sunra returned and visited Philadelphia. Said I left for a New York minute, but I came back to help you. Got a message, a message from Sunra, Sunra, and this what Sunra said. This world, your world, is in transition for both the living and the dead. So what did Sunra say? Sunra. Sunra, what did Sunra say? Sunra returned, hovered over Philly. Some thought he was the mothership, but we knew he was just being hip. Sunra, Sunra, Sunra returned. Sunra, Sunra, Sunra left a message. And this is what he said I am nothing but a color, nothing but a name, nothing but a flash of daylight, nothing but an ex slave. It is the present that is running and the past. It never came. I am the missing future and the vision that you claim. Sunra returned to say, I went away to help you if you only seize the day. Translation was necessary. Cause sunrise speaking tongues, Jupiter language, and like our own, like dig the way it sounds. Ilya D, way to play, read that do, and the frown put Caesar boy again. Rework inside you, Modi the soul, and sun and nature, water like bebop, sunshine. Okay, kill the dog and open up the day. Sunra, 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 Dickie swaying across the stage. Sunra, Sunra. So the sky moving over where we all come from. Inside the world is blackness. 
Everything is dark in the sky. Blood is light and water. Breath is heat and sun. was before everything. Sun Ra was before anything, except he was nothing as well. The Pygmies wore Sun Ra t-shirts, but they looked like their skin. Little red dudes was black as tar before. Was Ra's first band, only orchestra in all the land. Sun Ra, Sun Ra came back. Hung around, left a message of what we lack. Sunra, Sunra came back. Sunra, Sunra came back.
Auteur de cette chanson, et comme il le dit lui-même, le blanc le plus noir du Brésil. Moi qui suis peut-être le français le plus brésilien de France, j'aimerais vous parler de mon amour de la samba, comme un amoureux qui n'osant pas parler à celle qu'il aime, en parlerait à tous ceux qu'il rencontre. J'en connais que la chanson incommode d'autres pour qui ce n'est rien qu'une mode d'autres qui en profitent sans l'aimer. Moi je l'aime et j'ai parcouru le monde en cherchant ses racines vagabondes. Aujourd'hui pour trouver les plus profondes, c'est la samba chanson qu'il faut chanter. Gilberto, Carlos Lira, Dorival Caimé, Antonio Carlos Jobim, Vinicius de Moraes, Baden Powell, qui a fait la musique de cette chanson et de tant d'autres. Vous avez mon salut. Ce soir, je voudrais voir jusqu'à l'ivresse pour mieux délirer sur tous ceux que grâce à vous j'ai découvert et qui ont fait de la samba ce qu'elle est, Sarah. Noël Rose, Dolores Durand, Silvio Montero, tant d'autres. Et tous ceux qui viennent, et de l'aube, et mes amis qui sont avec moi ce soir. Baden, bien sûr, Igor, Osma, 
FM, you're listening to the Found Round Sound Show, the companion to the Flat Black Plastic, which is Saturday at this time, noon to two. We would love your help with money, so click us some dough, bro.
Inspiration, prefab experience, immunization, perceived autonomy. Gladys, uh, gonna try to be a little bit funny. God, it's so hard to remember how. Uh, I moved to a different city recently, and you know, when you do something like that, it can be so hard to meet new people. But boy, it's easy to meet old people. They are eager to talk. Just right, just right on the bus. That's how I met my grandpa, actually. Uh, during COVID, been up to a lot of writing. Get a lot of writing done. I wrote a prequel to Jaws. No. It's called No Sharks Here, <laughs> Shark Free Town. I wrote a prequel to The Exorcist. It's called This Girl's Fine. She's normal and shit. I was in line at the bank with my boyfriend. He pointed at some of the tellers. He said, hey, marry, fuck, kill. And I said, uh, yeah, that's the plan. <laughs> so I come, I come from one of those big southern families in the south, uh, the deep south, let me tell you. One of those places where they think that like Sprite is good for you because it's clear. <laughs> and they reuse the name Chris a lot in my family. We got like four Chris's. We got little Chris. We got my cousin, big Chris. We have my brother, city Chris. <laughs> and even though my brother is both taller than big Chris and has a lower BMI than little Chris, they call him city Chris because he got caught reading a book in a duck blind. <laughs> and he never, never lived it down. Hey, a lot of people these days into polyamory. Uh, yeah. I don't know much about that life. Uh, I do know, from what I've observed, uh, if you're going to open up your relationship, if you're going to have like an open marriage, it seems like it's going to be a lot like opening up a good bottle of red wine. In that once you do it, once you open it, uh, it's going to last about five days. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm joking. But seriously, they can be so sanctimonious about it. They really believe that it's like, not just falling in love with a bunch of people, it's a better way to live. I feel like sometimes they're saying to me, uh, hey, you know, I can have my cake and I can eat it too. And they're also saying, you know, cake eating, it's one of the highest virtues. And I'm a little more enlightened than you because of all the cake that I ate. I also hear him saying to me, hey, can I spend the night at your house? Because they are all mad at me. I, I can't go back to that apartment. I got the cake all over me. Now I need to take a shower. Uh, so I was at the library recently. I saw a sign for adult coloring time. You know about this? You know the coloring's not just for little kids and people that got hit really hard in the head, right? These days it's for adults to do right out in the open. 
And this sign, this sign at the library, here's what it said verbatim. It said, adult coloring time. Join us from 1 to 3 p.m. in the upstairs reading room. Or just stop by for however long you like. And that last part really tripped me out. Because, like, of all the things about adult coloring time, yeah, I know I can leave when I want to. Oh, this isn't the one where you lock the doors. This isn't the one where I have to keep going after my hand cramps up. Yeah, I know. Basically, most signs have that little subtext after it that you, you don't need. You know, like, they don't need to put class meets three times a week. Or never, if that's what you want. Just don't show up. This is a fire exit. Or just stay in the fire, bro. It's your life burned to death in the hallway of this Ramada Inn. Howdy, folks. This is Finch bringing you another episode of Always Free Radio, the podcast and internet streaming radio show that is by, for, and about people that like to participate in rainbow gatherings. This show is brought to you on Mutiny Radio, and you can listen to it every week live on the internet on Tuesdays from 4 to 6 p.m. San Francisco time, that's Pacific time, on mutinyradio.fm. And if you missed the live show, you can also listen to it by downloading it as a podcast uh, by looking for the podcast called Always Free. That's A-L-L-W-A-Y-S-F-R-E-E. And it's all one word. You can look for it on wherever you get your podcasts, whatever your provider is. The, uh, the stand-up comedy that you just heard uh, was brought to you by Gladys uh, Emily Downing. And it was performed at the Pennsylvania Prism Rainbow Gathering this last summer uh, in 2021. Um, unfortunately, Gladys tragically lost her life a week ago on Tuesday, and the entire community is reeling from this loss. Um, she was an absolute titan, uh, a rainbow superstar, and she was also a stand-up comedian, so... We are dedicating this episode to Gladys, and next part of the uh, show that you will hear is her full 30-minute stand-up act uh, at the same Pennsylvania Prism Rainbow Gathering. Uh, Gladys is survived by her twin babies, Gertrude and Elmer, who are going to be raised by their father now, and hopefully with a little bit of help from all of us. Um, we also suffered another tragic loss this week. John Buffalo uh, passed away on Monday, May the 2nd. And John was one of our most longtime and most dedicated family. He did Shantasina for decades. And he, he participated in every part of Rainbow, and he will, he will be missed very, very much. Uh, finally, after, uh, after we listen to this next stand-up set, uh, there has been a flurry of Rainbow Gathering-related news uh, in the media recently. Colorado has figured out that the 50th anniversary Rainbow Gathering will be coming their way. 
and the newspapers are all trying to guess where it'll be, how many people are coming, what the impact will be, and all of us are watching and trying to see how many times the headline will say that we are descending on some mountain town or another. Uh, so enjoy the current event and news download, but first we hope you will enjoy a few laughs with our favorite rainbow stand-up comedian. We love you, Gladys. This episode's for you. It's happening. It's happening. Oh, good evening. First of all, you guys, thank you so much for letting me practice. Oh my God, it's been like a year, so uh, don't don't expect much, but but this is a golden opportunity for me, and I'm so grateful. Uh, also, I used up all my short jokes the other night, so let's, let's just get into it. Uh, my name's Gladys. I did move to New England for the winter time. Uh, I know that's kind of unusual. I know a lot of people up here don't appreciate it. I hear, I hear them all the time. They fantasize about moving to Florida or Arizona or California, and they don't even know. I, I mean, I, I can tell what they're thinking. They're like, oh, I'm going to wear flip-flops all the time. I can lick a metal pole all year round. Uh, I'm going to wear a straw hat like in the Jason Mraz videos. But, man, it's it that kind of thing can turn out with the darkness. Because, okay, basically, when we don't share an objective reality that is the weather can kill you for half the year, hippies start thinking all the ideas in their head are right. It's terrifying. Just any idea that pops into their stupid little dreadlock head could be correct. You know, stuff like vaccines cause autism. I should wear a more whimsical hat. Uh, you know what I should do? Start a start a chapstick company with weed in it. That's what I should do with my entire life. Basically, I'm saying that you need the harsh winter time to press your hippies down. Man, you get out there, it starts getting kind of spooky. I mean, up in Vermont, it's great. Even our rednecks, like, you know, your eighth generation Vermonter, they're they're pretty they're pretty good. A, they've been to another country. They've been to Canada. B, you know, they just got that out of the gene pool a long time ago. If you couldn't hang out at a party 300 years ago, you had to go outside. And it's negative 30, and that's that's the end of you. You know, out west, somebody can't behave. They go outside. They're just outside. Right outside. Like, right fogging up the windows. Right out there. You'd be like, oh, people don't know so much. I'm just going to walk out of this party and sleep underneath the manzanita tree. <laughs> so I, I moved to New England from the deep south. Um, south, it's, it's been in the news lately for rising again. And, you know, we had a lot of problems out there growing up. I mean, I'll get into it. You know, crystal meth, it, it ravages communities. And people are always so down on meth heads. But, you know, there's some upsides. There's some upsides. For one thing, meth heads, man, they'll make you super nostalgic for crackheads. <laughs> and, how, and how they just want more crack and you can predict all their actions based on that. The thing with meth is, oh man, it makes you super crazy. It costs almost nothing. Like you can do three days a week at Burger King and pay for your meth habit. So what you have, what you have is a lot of crazy people walking around very quickly, obviously. A lot of time on their hands to work on their bespoke insanities. It'll be stories like, oh, my, my neighbor's stealing my spark plugs. But, you know, it's so we can build a time machine so we can go back in time and break Avril Lavigne's nose. And somehow that's going to end the designated hitter rule. So, you know, it's for a good cause. I'm not mad. 
or like you'll be in an alley and some dude will come up and you think he's gonna rob you or whatever but he just wants you to sign a contract he made about not taking your shoelaces for granted <laughs> so that's fine that's fun uh, I had two kids recently or so they tell me I um, know that shit's been hard because I didn't even have that thing in high school where they give you like a fake baby that you can take care of. Did that happen at anybody's high school? Yeah. In real life? Did, what, what kind of baby was it? It was a sack of flowers. What the fuck? <laughs> I thought because they had, I thought it was going to be an egg like in Saved by the Bell because now they have a, mechanic, a sack of flour. That's not realistic at all. You can't. You can take a baby to a fish fry. Like, a sack of flour. Watch out. Man, weird. No, I mean, the whole point of that assignment is they wanted you to fail, right? They want you to have the baby, and you see how much it sucks to be a teen mom, and then you don't want to be a teen mom. But then, like, if you do pass the assignment, are you good to go? Are you good to be one now? Like, like when Mothers Against Drunk Driving comes to your school fair, and they have those goggles you put on that makes you drunk. And then you drive with them, but then if you do a good job driving, they give you a laminated card that says you're allowed to drive drunk now. Because you did it. Or like when the D.A.R.E. officer comes to your school and he's got all those little samples of drugs in a plastic case, and then he lets you do some of the blow, and you're you're so good at doing it. You're so good at doing it. You, do, you say all the stuff that people in cocaine are supposed to say to each other. Like, like... Oh, your idea for a restaurant sounds incredible. <laughs> I just, I think it's important to be honest with children about where restaurants come from. <laughs> I think you got to sit them down on the edge of the bed and look right in their eyes and just say, when two men named Philip and Dana love themselves very, very much, they have a restaurant concept together. <laughs> And that's where they come from. Oh, people these days, a lot of people these days, they want comedians to be like more than comedians. They want to be like, you know, preachers or motivational speakers. They want to ask, you know, ask the important questions in life. So I'll, I'll try. Can anybody name all the members of Limp Biscuit? Any of them? You guys, you guys know at least one, right? Fred Durst. Right. It would be Fred. It would be Fred Durst. And then some people, I guess, some people also know about the spooky, ba uh, the, the spooky bass player. Yeah. I'm West not familiar with him. West something. Uh, did you know that wasn't a puppet? That was a real dude, just wearing contacts. But yeah, Fred Durst is the only one anybody ever knew. And that would be really good to be Fred Durst in the '90s, because it's like you know, you're getting the good restaurant tables, you're getting all the barred out groupies. Um, you would want to be him, not the drummer, because it's like nobody knows who the drummer is. But then if you go fast forward to today, you'd way rather be the drummer because you're getting those residual checks, but nobody knows you're in Limp Biscuit. <laughs> nobody but you. Not like Fred Durst, who has, who has $210 million. I looked that up. He's a rich man, but he can't enjoy it because uh, he's trapped inside the body of Fred Durst. <laughs> like, even if you rent out the entire go-kart pavilion, like, there's still, you know, the two employees are still laughing because it's Fred Durst there. That's hilarious. He's, I'm, I'm just saying he lives in a prison made out of Fred Durst. <laughs> and so you can't even enjoy the riches. Man, wasn't it crazy how Linkin Park made all those songs about dudes having emotions, but they had to use super tough action verbs so they'd accept it? Like, dudes are always, and people in the songs are like, they're crawling and falling and ripping and tearing. 
It's like we get it. You're feeling stuff. You're feeling stuff. Okay. Uh, is it's I feel it's, it's pretty boring when white people talk about their heritage, right? When someone's trapped you in a conversation, they're telling you about how there's Scotch, German, Irish on their mom's side, and they're Dutch, Irish, Scotch on their dad's side, and so on and so forth. I don't know. I don't think people, Caucasians, should get to have heritage like that. There's, there's usually. I mean, Irish is definitely going to be in there. The Irish are super proud of being Irish, all the time. So many parades. But then I guess you know, there was how they used to be like slaves and. People considered them like less than human, like not even white, like a subspecies of human. We should get back to that. We should bring that was that was tight, in my opinion. Ugh, knock him down a, a bit. Oh, I know you were slaves. Um, man, so people here listen to NPR, but I bet you've heard stuff about like the call of the abyss. Anybody ever heard of of that phrase before? It's a name for that feeling that you get when you're on like top of like like when you're on top of a building and you think about think about falling off, when you think about the worst possible thing that could happen. If you're driving and you think about jerking the wheel, not that you're gonna do it, you're not suicidal. You're just thinking about, you know, what would happen if I went down that route. I've I've been having a lot of conversational call of the abyss lately when I'm talking to folks. I just it's it's Fucking with my enjoyment of life. Okay, the, the 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 real example, like the real life example of this was, I was hanging out with my friends the other day, and uh, there was a story on the news about some Scientologists in Turkey that were handing out pamphlets, and uh, they were charged with this with this old school crime of there called like inciting fear, inciting fear on the street. And since it was a story about Scientology, of course they have a picture of Tom Cruise up there, just like a random red pic uh, red uh, red carpet picture of Tom Cruise doing that toothy Tom Cruise grin he does, where he's like, <laughs> like that one. And I stood up and went over the TV and like pointed at his, his fucked up big front teeth and I was like, hey guys, more like incising fear, am I right? <laughs> Which caused a mild titter, it's not a good joke, caused a mild titter of laughter, but I couldn't even enjoy that little tiny moment of pleasure bringing other people laughter because immediately I was thinking, man, you know what would make things really upsetting and awkward? If you just said that again. If you just said the punchline again. More like incising fear, am I right? For a second time. But then that would probably, it'd probably work out because people would think you were just excited about your joke landing and were like saying it one more time. They'd give you a little, a little credit. But then, man, if you said it a third time, <laughs> you're like, hey guys, more like incising fear, am I right? Ha ha ha. More like incising fear, am I right? More like incising fear, am I right? That third time, like, people are gonna frown a little bit and furrow their brows, and they're probably not gonna say anything. They might shoot each other a glance, but then what if you said it a fourth time? <laughs> What if you said it four times? Oh, fuck. Now this is like the worst part of everyone's day. They feel so uncomfortable. They're fucking hating it. They're hating it. Oh, geez. They're like looking around. Man, and then you get into like five, six, seven. People are looking at the table. They might try to physically leave the room. There's like more like incising fear, right? More like incising fear. And then you go into like eight, nine, ten times. They have to look at you because what if you stab them? They don't want to get stabbed. Oh. 
And then it's like, how many times can you say the same thing in a row before they like call somebody? Before like they get a straight jacket for you and put it on you or like just get on the phone about it? I mean, I, not out here though. Fuck, not right here. You could say something five hundred thousand times, and you just be like, "Oh, that's more like incising fear marks." You just, he's like that. We love him. He's great. Uh, okay, so here's here's a here's a thing that's hard to do in audiences of normal people that would be easier out here. Like stuff about traveling. It's hard to explain the lifestyle to people. It's hard to explain a lifestyle where it's like. I would spend a lot of time doing stuff in front of signs that were telling me exactly not to do that. Like the sign says no soliciting, but I'm hardcore soliciting all day, <laughs> getting getting that cash. Or a sign that says, you know, dogs must be leashed. And my dog's never on a leash. I would never. Come on, forget about it. Uh, and then, you know, eventually a security guard will come up to you and they'll like jerk their thumb back at the sign, you know, tell you got to get out of here. Sometimes, sometimes they would point to the sign and be like, hey, can't you read? And when I had that opportunity, I would always say, no. <laughs> and that would usually, they just give me a weird look, but then sometimes, oh my God, sometimes they would be like, why? <laughs> and then, then you got a real sandbox to play in. That's so good. You can say, you know, I'm always going to say something, I'm always going to say something real, like something that's going on in someone's real life like oh i was actually like in a cult until i ran away at age 21 and they never taught us how to read and we didn't really go much past the third grade or whatever and can you help me get my documents like a social security card <laughs> or, like, ask them you know or like some frozen airplane waste it fell out and it hit me on the head never since then i can't read and and the hope is that he like goes home to his family that night and he tells them of this fantastical tale of this of this person that he met and their story and then they all think about people whose lives are different from theirs and might not have the same opportunities and they they you know have a better understanding more empathy or there's also the possibility that he says to me, hey, my sister's the only person who's been hit by frozen airplane poop in this hemisphere since 1974. And then now I learned something. I'm the one that learned the lesson. And I'd like that too. Man, being out, being out there sometimes, you know, you, you're, you're out there for years and stuff. And sometimes the compass gets a little spun. You, you start wondering if you're doing the right thing. I would. I mean, I was having a great time out there, but just driving all over America, I'd wonder myself, is it right to be doing this? Should I be out here doing all these drugs, having depraved sex with strangers? Um, is it the best use of my talents and time, limited though they may be? And when I was having one of these moments of, you know, sort of like existential crisis, um, I'm so glad that I got behind an edible arrangements truck because once I saw that truck and that papaya response, uh, <clears throat> I knew that, like, I just remembered edible, arraignment, uh, ed edible arrangements and what it is that there's, like, a whole building where, where people have to show up to so they can cut up pineapples and put wooden dowels in them. And that they're using fossil fuels to, like, haul it all over America to, like, I guess people that work at the bank. I don't know. <laughs> Who orders edible arrangements? But, like, it's an entire company that people work for and you know kind of harming the environment with their activities and it's 
I'm fine, you know? If that's going on, I'm good. I'm good to go. I'm not, I'm not the person that stuck a wooden dowel in a cookie and uh, took that to the bank to get a loan about it. Everything I do is fine. So, you guys, speaking of not being able to read, you guys, have, you've, you've, you've probably heard of dyslexia before, right? So they, they told me when I was little I had an opposite condition called hyperlexia. And I don't know how true that is, but I could definitely read before I could talk or before I was, you know, like three and and uh, can still read pretty fast. And uh, growing up, you you think that would be a, you know, a boon that would get you ahead in life. But also it didn't really come with like a expanded, you know, maturity or consciousness or intellectual ability. I could just read the words really fast. My parents wouldn't take me to the library. They would just take me to like the grocery store where they would buy me every Stephen King book uh, in print. And man, when, when I was six, I read Cujo because it had a doggy on the cover. <laughs> and you guys, in the book Cujo, a guy breaks into his girlfriend's apartment, smashes every single thing that she owns, ejaculates on her bedspread, and then leaves. And at the time, that was distressing to me because, you know, I mean, first of all, I didn't want all my unicorn figurines smashed. But also the semen part, that was that was hard for me to deal with because like I knew Salem's Lot wasn't real and that like uh, you know Pet Cemetery was a made up story, but I I was already pretty aware that semen was hella real, like as a concept and around me all the time, and and I just I just didn't know is that is that how adults treated each other? Is this what dating was gonna be like? Is this what I have to get ready for? <laughs> But it didn't even matter because, like, now, if I came home now and found a puddle of semen on my bedspread, y'all, I'm not even washing that for, like, four days. <laughs> I'm just kicking it to the bottom of the bed. <laughs> Who cares? Who cares? Uh, so, man, child actors. Why are, why, are we still, why are we still having them? Like, I'm not the best parent, but I know more than to ever let that happen to my kid. What a bizarre-ass life. It's the only profession, too, that we allow kids to do if they want to. It's not like anyone's like, oh, our son, Mar you know, Mur Murphy just loves oil fracking. So so we did quit our jobs and moved to North Dakota just to, just to give him a push, see if it works out for him. As long as he's enjoying it, though. No one, even if you're like, even if your first grader is a math whiz, no one's like, oh, you should pull him out of elementary school and make him a CPA. That'd, that'd be good for him. And honestly, oil fracking would probably be safer for kids as a profession because, like, acting's the only profession that requires you on a daily basis to put your kids in the car and drive them on purpose to a building that's full of, like, you know, pedophiles and sycophants and, like, people that whiten their dog's teeth and just the absolute scum of the earth. People that, that are probably going to fuck up your kids mentally and probably just plain fuck them. And I've heard that's bad for their development. <laughs> it's not good for them. Man, I can't even enjoy watching a movie that has a bunch of kids in it, like Stranger Things or something. I feel like I'm watching a snuff film of their childhood. I feel like I'm watching a movie, uh, you know, where the dog dies, but from back before it was illegal to kill animals on screen. Which was 1939. You guys know that before 1939, those horses are not okay. They didn't make it. It wasn't. It wasn't good for them. Man. And then sometimes people try to tell me, oh, some of the child actors turn out all right. What about Jodie Foster? 
Jodie Foster's okay. But you guys know, Jodie Foster's like best friends with Mel Gibson. So is she okay? <laughs> is she okay? Uh, I got more, but I think, I think I'm just gonna stop now. Why? No, more, Aww. that's amazing. Why? Okay, um, what did I have, what did I have written on the sheet of paper? Uh, Poker Stories is one of... Poker story story testosterone. Testosterone. testosterone starts off with talking about NPR and like I'm, I'm not sure that might be like a little specialized. I don't know. It's just I it's a little cute for me lately. You guys listen to NPR often? Sometimes. I don't know. Like Steven Ski pretending not to know how to pronounce like rap, you know, words and rap lyrics on the bumper stuff and like oh man, Radio Lab. Fucking Radio Lab. It's like, if you're telling a story that takes place in England, you don't have to play Hail Britannia for me to, like, hold that idea in my head. It's fucking babyish. Um, but anyway, so I was listening to it one day because there's nothing else in the car. They were doing a story about testosterone, like people that had too much of it or too little of it, people that had, like, transitioned their gender or whatever and what that was like. And um, they were going down a list of, like... Uh, of like fact uh, attributes to people that had like a lot of testosterone in their body. And I was hearing it, I was like, okay, yeah, maybe identify with some of that. It was stuff like square palms and like a deep voice. And a, one of them literally, this is literally one of them, a wolfish grin. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, another one of them was if you were in high school, voted most likely to Sarah Connor. <laughs> Which I was. <laughs> no, that wasn't really one. That wasn't really one. Uh, but the last one uh, they told you about, which is completely real, was that levels of testosterone rise when you are uh, both working out, like in the middle of a really hard workout, or watching violence, even recorded violence, like people fighting. And when I heard that, I knew it was time to take my workouts to the next level by watching <laughs> videos of people beating the shit out of each other first. Yeah. And you guys, it is it works so well. Oh my god. Yeah. I would you. Go to, go to any kind of fight porn site. It, you know, when you're like watching a video of a fight at 2 a.m. and you get embarrassingly hype about it, like you're- yeah, Like UFC? Yeah, sure, that too. But I mean, no, I want them to like mean it. I want someone to have snatched somebody's something and then now like an unholy fury is coming down. I watched them all, high school fight videos. Like I didn't get into the Appalachian preschool MMA backyard scene, but that exists. That exists and it's out there. And uh, I'm so grateful. But then he got me in trouble because uh, back when I was living my car, I would work out sometimes by sneaking into the fitness room of like a Ramada Inn or something. Uh, you would just like fish a Starbucks cup out of the garbage, have sweatpants on and a messy bun. And then now, you know, bust out a workout real quick before I go fly a sign. And I'm in, I'm in the Ramada one time waiting for somebody with a card to come swipe it through so he can get into the little tiny room with the foggy mirrors and the like one nordic track and i'm listening to I'm, I'm watching the fights on my cell phone with headphones and then eventually this like elderly dude in basketball shorts uh comes to use the gym which is great for me he stands up he swipes the card and as he goes in i duck in behind him really quick and as i do the door slams shut and catches my headphones and pulls them out of the phone. And then now all of a sudden we're like in this tiny room together and there's just the sounds of like, get him, Jeremy, get him, Jeremy. Fuck him up, fuck him up. And he was like looking at me, kind of confused. And I was just like, 
this is what music sounds like now? This is what the kids listen to? Um, okay. I don't want to talk about the Myers-Briggs personality index. I don't want to talk about pedophiles. Um... I invented some new dog breeds, I guess. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, it just sucks that we have all these dogs that, that are trained to do hyper-specialized tasks that we took all their dogs away. I mean, we took all their uh, jobs away in the span of like 50 years. I just don't think it's fair. They're like quivering with excitement to do the thing they were trained to do, and we don't let them do it. We gotta start over, we gotta start from scratch. Dogs for modern people to solve modern problems. You know, like a... A doll like a retriever, but they only retrieve cash and jewels. <laughs> and also they can break into people's houses. That's a dog that I could use. Um, you know, dogs that are good for selfies, really glossy, stand in front of you, reflect the light. Um, dogs that like secrete antibiotics from their eyes, but every day they change a little bit to keep up with today's fast-paced MRSA outbreaks. <laughs> You know, like a, mid, a dog that, if people call themselves their dog's mom, maybe you hit 40 and the dog's face will change to look like your face. <laughs> so then you don't feel so bad about not completing the biological imperative. I don't know. Sometimes when I'm in public with my dog, she'll be asleep and she'll be twitching like dogs do when they dream and, you know, making little noises and shit. And people are always like, oh, she must be chasing rabbits. Or, you know, stuff that dogs do during the day. But sometimes the dog tries to hump me, so it's like, you gotta figure some of those dreams. Some of those dreams, you're not stopping them. Like, you're into it. Hmm. Of all the things that COVID took away from us in Burlington, Vermont, near where I live, the one thing I can't believe it didn't take away was the axe throwing bar. <laughs> Somehow there's still a bar, it survived the pandemic, where you can go throw axes at the wall and it makes me so goddamn mad. Oh man, I know I shouldn't get that worked up over it. It's just, oh. <clears throat> because they're not chopping wood in there. It's not surrounded by, like, you're supposed to chop like, you know, 10,000 cords of wood first. They're, they're trafficking in working class signifiers. I don't love that. Plus the fact that you just know that if it came down to the cut, they're not—they're not even helping people do it. They're not even going to be able to do it. Like I'm out here in the middle of nowhere chopping wood for the apocalypse. They're in there twirling them around like majorettes. And if in fact the apocalypse did happen and there was like you know a horde of people from Brooklyn cresting the hill coming to take over my house in Vermont, and you needed somebody, you needed one of these Burlingtonians to sink the tip of that axe into the forehead of one of these fucks, they're, they're going to be like, oh, it's not a regulation axe. It needs to be tuned. Uh, so I guess I might as well... Sure, I'll, I'll do the, the hooker story last, because I got to get back to those to the kids. They'll probably need me. But... Uh, <clears throat> <laughs> Go way out there. Go. So, uh, before, uh, yeah, before this life, I used to have like a whole, a whole different one. 
where I had like long hair and uh, long nails and high heels. And oh, for the purposes of this story, I guess it is important, not just a, a brag to say like, I used to be super hot before I lost like most of my teeth, which causes your face to sink in. I was I was pretty attractive. Like people used to say Angelina Jolie, but that's not true. That's that was way too hot. But absolutely Jessica Alba hot. That's an objective fact. I was absolutely as hot as like Jessica Alba. So anyway, um, I also I'm tired of standing up now. So I had parlayed this into like a fairly. I went from Craigslist hooker to like tech bro hooker, which was you know fairly a fairly lucrative enterprise. And um, huh? Like, uh, you know, like, a, I, uh, I would say mostly tech bros is, is who I was working for. And so for the setting of this story is I was in the car with one of these dudes one day and he was going off about my mom's declawed cat. I mean, you know, like I've been seeing the dude a little bit and he just hated that my mom's cat uh, had been declawed. I don't, I don't. I know we're not supposed to like it. I don't have that much of a problem with it. I mean, it was still could climb trees. The cat seemed happy enough. Uh, otherwise, it was going to go to an animal shelter in Memphis, Tennessee, which would have been death. So it's like declawing or death, whichever one you think is better. But he was he was all up in arms about it. He's like, oh, man, don't you know? It's just like cutting your knuckle off, your, your finger off at the first knuckle. That's, that's their fingers in there. And I was like, well, honestly, I think cats would be able to make that decision. I think if you offered a cat free room, board, medical care, and food for the rest of their natural life, they'd probably lose the first knuckle voluntarily. I know I would. If somebody was offering me <coughs> free room, you know, food, medical care for the rest of my life, you can have the first, you know, little bone pieces. And he said, do you want to put your money where your mouth is? And I said, what? And he said that there was places on the internet, not the World Wide Web, but the internet, where he could put an ad like that, and maybe somebody would take me up on it and, uh, you know, decide to provide those things in exchange for, you know, safely uh, in a medical setting, cutting the tips of my finger off. And I didn't have to think long about it before I said yes, because come on, <laughs> the first knuckles in your finger, what the fuck? You can still dial a phone, pull a grenade, masturbate, Vulcan salute. What else is there? Those four things? Come on, you're good. That's good. That's all you need to do. And so he put the ad on the internet, and uh, surprisingly quickly it got answered. If you had to guess a part of the world from which someone who would take me up on that offer would originate, what do you think? New Jersey. Uh, China? No, not, nobody there Tell can afford it. Tell me the answer so I don't sound ignorant. <laughs> what you would now call the UAE. They're definitely, they definitely grow some weird ones. United Arab Emirates. Yeah, in that, in that part of the world. Um, Did they want your knuckles? Yeah, they actually wanted a whole lifestyle thing. Like, that was, get, that was getting worked out, you know, am I going to, like, live at the house? Do I wear a collar? It was finally decided it was going to be just like, you know, I had my own oh, separate oh, domicile. Oh, you you like a cat. Yeah, no, that, yeah, that's... that's... <laughs> yeah, I don't declaw cats. <laughs> That's not apparently a lot of people don't. I mean, my mom did. I don't judge other people. This is a comedy. Uh, anywho, it's a conversation too. It's a right because I'm 